Thank you for tuning in to the From Starving to Savvy podcast for independent artists. Here, we share stories from artists, arts administrators, and other professionals working at the intersection of art and technology. Together, we work to interrogate the landscape of the arts industry and attempt to inject a refreshed sense of optimism to unravel the narrative of the starving artist. From Starving to Savvy is funded and produced by Last Draft Incorporated, a story company that specializes in online branding and expression for artists, entrepreneurs, and professionals with personality. I'm your host, Renee Coughlin, and you're listening to From Starving to Savvy. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode eight of From Starving to Savvy. We're so happy you're here listening, whether it's again or we've got you for the very first time. We are grateful to have your ears, and we hope that this episode brings you lots to think about and hopefully leaves you wanting to also take action and get involved in supporting the recovery of the live music industry in Canada. So before March 2020, the Canadian live music industry created over 72,000 jobs and contributed approximately $3 billion to the national GDP. Since March of 2020, the industry has reported a 92% average revenue loss, 64% of the industry is at risk of permanent closure, One in four arts, entertainment, and recreation workers lost their job in 2020. That's 114,400 artists, technicians, marketing staff, arts administrators, and other cultural workers who could no longer earn a living out of their profession. 85% of professional musicians agree that if they can't perform live, they will have a difficult time making a living. More live music venues are predicting to close, risking permanent job loss and making the future of Canadian music as an industry precarious. The live events industry was one of the first to shut down, prioritizing the safety of artists, crews and fans by cancelling or postponing thousands of events across the country. And with ongoing uncertainty, live events will be among the last to return. On today's episode, we're joined by Aaron Benjamin, who is the president and CEO of the Canadian Live Music Association. Aaron has worked in the Canadian music industry for over 25 years, first as a touring and recording artist, and then as as the executive director of both Folk Music Ontario and the Canadian Arts Presenting Association. Today we're chatting with Erin to learn more about the work of the Canadian Live Music Association and their role within the industry, especially within the last year as we face this global pandemic. And we'll also learn about ways that you, as listeners, can get involved in supporting this industry that so many of us know and love and miss, and we want to see it around for decades to come. So here she is now to tell us more. Hi, Renee. Hi, Erin. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Good. It's nice to meet you. You too. So you've been crazy busy and you're like a real life superhero these days. For the oh, music I hardly think that. 
but you know, passionate advocate for sure. I always have been. It's so amazing. You're doing so much awesome work for the live music community. I'm thinking that we can just jump right in if that's okay with you. You bet. Maybe you can start by telling us just about where your relationship with music and the music industry started. Okay, that's a wonderful question. Thank you for asking me that. Uh, Because there's a very, there's a great story that I will try not to make it last 15 minutes. But when I was five years old, I had a dream that I was a guitar player, that I play guitar. And that I, so I, I woke up and I was like, oh my God, I need a guitar. Like obsessed with needing a guitar. So I went to my mom and I said, Hi, can I please have a guitar? I have to learn how to play the guitar. And my mom was like, um, no, no, you cannot. And then I just, you know, I just stayed on it. I was like, I have to, I was completely, it was a very, I guess, very powerful dream. And finally I wore her down to a nub and I grew up in Toronto. She took me to a, a, a shop on Bayview Avenue near where I grew up called Drum World. And she bought me a hundred dollar Dega guitar. Dega was the brand. And, uh, and I immediately started uh, taking lessons and from a neighbor. And um, that was the beginning of my career as an artist, which I was until I sort of retired in 2003. But that led me to writing songs and performing and uh, meeting all kinds of people and building relationships and networking and all of the skills and tools that I use today. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, so that, that was really it. Um, and, uh, you know, over the course of my performing career, I would, I consider myself to have been a professional musician for about 10 years or an artist. And, uh, I made several, you know, recordings, CDs, projects, um, played in some beautiful venues and all kinds of different stages outdoors and in, and nice. got a chance to play with so many incredible artists and, and meet people along the way. And in fact, lots of the folks in the, on the industry side that I met as an artist are my contemporaries today still in the business and doing what they do just uh, it's gonna the music side was a great journey what made you make that shift from touring and playing live to where you are now yeah another good question so in 2001 I was uh, uh, very involved in sort of the the Ontario folk community um, and the organization which is now known today as Folk Music Ontario but at the time it was called the Ontario Council of Folk Festivals and I was uh, at this point I was living in northern Ontario and um, I had uh, found my way to this organization as a as a musician. They had a songwriting contest in, that I entered in 1996. They still have it called Songs from the Heart. And um, and I was one of the winners and I got to go and I met all these people. And so I got involved with this organization. And eventually, because I was that uh, annoying squeaky wheel at the back of the room of, at every AGM, like, how come you don't do this? And how come you don't do that that way? Really annoying. Um, they, they, of course, that's, there's only one thing you can do with those annoying people. You put them on the board. Yeah. And yeah. <laughs> so I ended up on the board of the OCFF and this would have been like around 99, 98, 99, maybe. And, uh, uh, come 2001, um, the one person that they had been paying a couple of hours a week to sort of the office manager, very small organization and, uh, but with heaps of potential and she got quite sick. And so the the board chair and the vice chair took me out into the hall and said, uh, would you consider being the office manager? We have $5,000 in the bank and um, we could use it to, you know, pay you. And there's probably more money you could go and find. And so at this point I was a full-time artist and I, I heard the words like $5,000. 
yeah. in my head, I was like, oh my God, that could be mine. Because I was at that point, like hiding from my landlord on regular, yeah. you know, living gig to gig, basically. And uh, and so out of my mouth came the words, like without, uh, to this day, I'm so, I find this story so amusing because it, I'm just like this. This is, doesn't surprise me at all, but I said, um, great. Uh, they're basically, you know, asking me to do the work. And I said, great, I'll do the work. Um, but, but I don't want to be the office manager. You have to call me the executive director. Yeah. And they were like, one of them was like, great, no problem. The other was like, wait a minute. And uh, anyway, I became the first executive director of the Ontario Council of Folk Festivals. And through that experience really found, I think, my calling in life. And I slowly pulled back from performing, um, but was, uh, but, but, full speed ahead on serving the community that I just loved and, and, um, and expanded that community over time. So I think my skills were better. You know, I, I, I still, I can kind of listen to my music sort of, and I still have some wonderful supportive fans out there, especially my mom who probably has about 700 copies of my CD in her basement. Uh, But, (laughs) but it, it really, um, I think performing and and uh, touring and writing songs really what w- led me to what I was meant to do, which was mm-hmm. to lead associations and communities into our collective futures. Which, if you fast forward a few years to today, you are continuing to do as the president and CEO of the Canadian Live Music Association. So, for people who are listening who aren't familiar with this association. Can you explain a little bit about what it does within the greater system of live music in Canada? Mm-hmm. So if you don't know what the Canadian Live Music Association is, that's okay. If you're listeners, um, what I would love for you to take away from this podcast experience that you're having right now, if nothing else, is a, is to try and build a connection with our campaign, which I'll explain in a minute, which is hashtag for the love of live. And we've done a lot of things in our short seven-year lifespan. We were founded in 2014, but none more important than this campaign. And I'll I'll come back to that, as I say, in a second. So the organization was founded um, by the live music industry for the live music industry. And for those who know, Canada has an association soup out there. There are a lot of associations in in the music space, but there were none that were representing the live music industry. So, you know, you've got artists facing associations. There's a manager's a music managers forum association, um, uh, independent music industry, major labels, songwriters, music publishers, but again, no live. And uh, there was a, there was a point in the history of um, funding in Ontario uh, going back several years now, when uh, the government was looking at creating something called the Ontario music fund, which eventually came to fruition and uh, they were consulting and they really didn't have a one-stop shop to consult with the live music industry. They knew they wanted the fund to uh, re- respond to some of the needs of the live music industry. And there were a bunch of stakeholders who also were interested in, in making sure the, li- the, the music fund served them and their constituents. So it became very clear to both industry and government that there was an absence of a unified sort of, sort of voice or a one-stop shop. So um, that, that was part of what the genesis of the organization. And so fast forward a bit and a, and a founding board was came together and some core objectives were struck in our, our, um, we, we organize ourselves or our activities into several pillars or, or buckets. And one of them is advocacy. Another is research. Another is professional business development and then networking, which 
you know, has taken on a completely different shape these days. But um, really, our mission is to entrench um, the economic, social, and cultural value and power of live music in both the public and private sector, and to really start to tell our story to government to influence cultural and uh, fiscal policy. So that our, our you know, because li- the, the live performance has become so fundamental to artists and a real paradigm shift, you know, we're well into it now, 20 years into it, since the music industry sort of inverted with the implosion of, of uh, recordings and sort of with the, the ad, let's say the advent of streaming. And of course the recorded music industry is well back on its feet now, which is great. And there's a, there's a, up until the pandemic, there was a, I think a, a pretty good balance in the way things were working in the industry, but the, the association was our, our core function really has been to champion the needs of those working in the live music industry to build their capacity and make sure government understands why what we do is fundamental, not only to artists, um, but also to the quality of life for Canadians. Mm-hmm. Um, and enter the pandemic and truly, uh, you know, I, I have yet, and may I never again, let me make this very clear, have this kind of experience where, uh, you know, we have an association and, it, you know, if we have time later, we can talk about why I think associations are, are have been just so, just so important to how conversations have been unfolding, not just in the music space, but mm-hmm. um, the, the, you know, we'd been working away at building our membership and, and uh, you know, increasing value and, and we're doing really well about there. And we were the voice of, to media for, and government and on all things live music. And we were happily going about our growth. And the pandemic, uh, you know, almost instantly with the snap of a finger um, created an opportunity that yeah, I wish we never had, but we took. Mm-hmm. And that w- to really bring our community together far beyond our imagination. And, um, and so we've been, as a result of many, many, now hundreds, if not thousands of the industry coming around the same table, our table, have been able to um, organize and uh, motivate and impact. Uh, in particular, and most recently, the federal government um, and the, the budget that was announced on April 19th, 2021, which uh, for as far as I know, the first time in history actually said the words live music and live music venues mm-hmm. with, a, with an allocation of 70 million, 50 million for emergency relief in this current fiscal year that we're in. And that the reason that we saw that this historic, truly historic recognition and an acknowledgement of the impact of the crushing impact of COVID on the live music industry, because there are certainly many other industries that have been as decimated mm-hmm. and also for the most part saw some relief in the budget, but what was our, our campaign for the love of live, which we launched in February, was a really valuable tool and a way to galvanize Canadians and industry alike on a single message. And that was, we love live music. And uh, also we miss live music and we believe live music will matter to our collective futures. So um, we used that campaign in a bunch of different ways. And, and, uh, and really this has become a, a rally cry for the association and the, and the industry. And so it's okay if you don't know who the Canadian Live Music Association is. We're an industry organization, and um, and our industry knows who we are, and that's okay. But if you're a you know if you're a live music fan, um, this campaign is for you as much as it is for us. It's a way for you to tell us who are your favorite artists, what venues do you miss, what was your what most favorite festival experience two summers ago, and we we've heard from hundreds of thousands. Um, if not more people uh, through this campaign images and 
and stories and, and sharing it. And the, the For the Love of Life campaign has now had a reach of almost 40 million. And it's really been incredible. Yes. So we're, we're proud of this. And we're, we're really, I think it, it, it reinforced and re-entrenched a lot of faith in some of our companies and organizations who have just been struggling that to know um, it really helped them and helps them. This is not past tense because we're still in the middle of this. Yeah. It helps them to know that that people care. You've talked a little bit about the way that the industry and associations in particular have really come together and collaborated to Mm -hmm. do something important for the industry at a time where I think there's definitely an agreement, like a global agreement that there's need, right? And people seem to be stepping up and working together. And I'm curious about your thoughts on, I guess it's kind of a two-part question. What were some of the major shifts that you noticed? Like what was the industry lacking before the pandemic that the pandemic actually offered this? Like, okay, we can do this. We can respond differently. We can respond together. Mm-hmm. Um, so those kind of big shifts. And I guess how you see once the pandemic is gone and we are in this recovery phase, how do you continue? How do you imagine that collaborative effort will continue um, so that we don't fall back on old habits, I guess? Yeah, interesting. And, you know, time will tell. I mean, I think the collaboration that the Canadian Live Music Association is engaged in is unprecedented and no mm-hmm. surprise there. And we spend as much time talking to tourism, travel and hospitality organizations as we do music. In fact, more time because they're the hardest hit. And so uh, with some great leadership from the tourism space, and I want to shout out to the Hotel Association of Canada and the Tourism Industry Association of Canada, two very amazing organizations led by um, power women, really impressive leadership who, you know, galvanized a group of um, hardest hit associations and mm-hmm. have led us through, a, 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 you know, basically, well, collaborative advocacy with, and we've had some real impact. Um, and that was out of necessity because we all recognized very quickly that, the you know, despite each uh, maybe industry doing their own advocacy work with their own customized messaging and needs and priorities, uh, it was was still very, very important, fundamentally important that we work together across, for example, in our case, the hardest hit sectors Mm -hmm. um, so that we could could speak from with one voice um, and be really, really, because, you know, government's been, uh, you know, doing their best to to be responsive, but the more that we can align on common goals, um, much, just much easier for us to get wins. And uh, we saw that in the fall economic statement through the work of the Hardest Hit Coalition, which is, can be found at hardesthit.ca. And that was, you know, we were able to influence the um, fall economic statement. And we saw uh, things like the HASCAP program for hardest hit sectors so to address our liquidity challenges. And it's not perfect, but, you know, it was, for some it works. Um, and uh, and then we also saw an infusion of um, some project money for the live music live music and events um, space, and that money is uh, slowly getting organized to roll out. So that that was really that collaborative effort. I think that um, the government appreciated, and and I don't want to say like we were rewarded because it was it's not this is not a game. Yeah. Uh, but uh, but it it's just more efficient. So that kind of collaboration is essential. And it, looking forward. Um, really interesting. It'll. It, it, I've learned so much from working with people outside the music sector. Mm-hmm. 
uh, 14 months and uh, just to see the simple things like how people do things their own way and what their, who their relationships are. I've got to know other people and um, realized there, I just have just so much to learn about so many things. That's always a good reminder. Um, you know, I know very little and, and it's always great to be around smart people doing amazing things and it's very inspiring. And so I hope that will continue. I would imagine um, especially again, the, the, you know, the hardest hit sectors, like it's not like the it's over for us when everyone's vaccinated. So, um, you know, that's a great, great, we can't wait for that. Mm-hmm. Um, but there, there will very likely be more work that we'll be able to do together and collaboration will probably still be the most efficient and effective way for us to achieve, again, those common goals. Mm-hmm. What role has the tech industry played so far, I feel like the live streaming obviously had this boom right when everything shut down. Um, but is there anything that there as well that you see continuing with technology and live music? Yeah, sure. I mean, I think, you know, in Ontario, we currently can't live stream um, due to the restrictions. That is a rabbit hole you don't want me to go down right now. Okay, we'll avoid that. <laughs> uh but uh, you know, a very very frustrating situation for yeah. the music live music industry in Ontario, mm-hmm. obviously. Um, but sure, I mean the you know the opportunity that all of this this the like all points of this crisis have created for you know really smart people out there is is really interesting. And the we talk now about hybridity and the combo plate of live streaming and live performance becoming a, a you know preferred model for the future. Um, not for every demographic and, you know, but the idea of being able to attend a show anywhere in the world at any time, I mean, sure, it's, it's, it's for some people, it, it really works. And I think that the technology got, you know, rocketed. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, it was like light speed, how it changed in a year. And we all remember those home concerts with the, in fact, I produce one every week for a local artist here in Ottawa and, with just with an iPad and very low tech and it works for works for him. But um, the, you know, the, the level of quality and the, you know, the, the just amazing. So I think, you know, technology and especially so many startups putting coming up with so many ideas and so many new platforms and ticketing interfaces and the democratization of access to live music experiences is, mm-hmm. you know, is a, is, a, is really, really interesting. Uh, you know, in the beginning of this, everyone was asking me, do you think it'll replace? And there's no, I've, you know, no, I don't think, yeah. uh, I mean, more and more we're hearing that, you know, we know people want to get back to live experiences, not just to, you know, engage with the music and the artists that we love, but to like actually stand next to someone else. Yeah. <laughs> How fun will that be? It's like that extra gum commercial and that everyone's talking about right now. And it's, it's so true. I mean, it's the reason we're all, we all love that commercial. It's exactly what we think life will be like at a, you know, at a concert or whatever. I mean, so, uh, but, but yeah, for sure. I mean, and technology will continue to evolve and, um, and not only evolve to, to, to react to the way that the industry has pivoted, but probably in a very proactive way and continue to offer and develop and create tools that will facilitate whatever, and you know, that, that hybridity or, or combination experience looks like in the future. Yeah. Yeah, there was um, some really exciting conversations I heard just around, and you kind of touched on this, just the accessibility factor, and that typically live music venues are also serving alcohol, and if you're a person who's sober and doesn't want to be around alcohol, you can stay home and watch a concert, and 
and watch shows from across the world that I, I would never have gone to these countries and been able to see these amazing artists perform. And here I am sitting in my living room being mm-hmm. introduced to all of this new music, which mm-hmm. is amazing. Yeah, no, and I think as long as we find a way to monetize it and yes. uh, that's fair and affordable for everybody and that the artists are getting paid properly and that the entire supply chain is getting paid and that we're not cutting off our nose despite our face because there are suppliers or there are people in our ecosystem that are, that you know, so many companies are gone. I mean, yeah. uh, mm-hmm. you know, so I've, I've cautioned government over the many months. Um, you know, we everyone was very excited about live stream. I'm like, okay, but- please note that we are hacking out a large piece of our supply chain by um, deciding that this is a solution. Mm -hmm. It's an, it's a, it is a solution to some problems, but not all of them. And, um, Mm -hmm. and certainly our, our production community, um, you know, has really, I I think has been a bit of an invisible community in all of this. And, uh, and I, th- I think we're starting to think about them more uh, and certainly the Canadian live music association has been advocating for their futures. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I'm, I'm optimistic that, that they'll be helped even more because without them, I mean, you know, state sound, staging lights, uh, infrastructure, all of that is, uh, and it's not, you know, maybe it's not something the average live music fan thinks about immediately, but when you start to unpack this industry, oh, it's very complex. Mm-hmm. There are all kinds of companies and businesses and, and stakeholders and freelance and contractors and obviously who make up the show. So mm-hmm. super, super important that we're always thinking about them and, and how we can make sure, you know, if an industry is going to evolve to something different, you know, I don't know that it's an association's job to stand in the way, except to, you know, hopefully try to be as proactive as possible and anticipate uh, what's coming so that we can support transitions. And yeah. as we've been doing, will the concert industry fundamentally change? I don't think anyone's really projecting that over the long term, it will be something completely different than what it was, um, yeah. with the exception of the addition of, of li- some element of live streaming or, or consumption of digital content. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think ultimately the hope is that it becomes more expansive, right? That no no chunk gets cut out, as you're saying, but that more people get brought in and it becomes a more dynamic, mm-hmm. evolving industry. Um if you are talking to people who are new, just entering this industry, whether it's as a sound tech, as an artist, as um, one of the many freelance contract positions that you were just talking about, what would you say to them right now at this point? It's interesting that you're asking me that because in fact, I just did a short video for a package, a high school curriculum package talking about the music industry and encouraging, especially what people are interested who, you know, we think of live music and we think of maybe the artist and maybe we think of record producers. Um, but what I would say is that there are, there's a huge range of cool jobs. Some are skilled trades, some are, you can go to school for, some you can learn um, just by gaining experience in the field. Um, and that this industry will be you know, it'll be as cool and fun as it always was. It, and it, it'll be on fire when we get out of yeah. this mess. Um, and so I think there'd be a lot of room for um, people to come in and, and, and experience the industry from whatever side, whether it's tech, tech work or, you know, sound, like I said, or sound and lights, production, staging, that whole sort of production world, um, super, super interesting. And then there's, you know, there's back a house 
front of house, backstage. Uh, and then there's the industry side, like management and agents. Uh, I have friends who just opened a brand new agency. Think about that in the middle of a pandemic. Yeah. I mean, that's yeah. optimism, right? Um, there's graphic design, marketing, publicity, uh, uh, tour management, catering, security, you name it. And if you think about a festival, and you, I, I never say box office, but I should, because that's also really interesting work for people who like love data and information and marketing and um, all of this stuff. And uh, uh, it's, yeah, I mean, there it is a huge, like I said, complex ecosystem with so many exciting like uh, pieces of the wheel that makes the machinery go. And I, I think anyone who uh, wants to look into the industry, like, give me a call, like I'll connect you with the right people. And, and you tell me what you're interested in and I'll put, I'll connect you to an expert who's been doing it for 20 years or 30 years. And they'll tell you what's awesome about it and what to expect coming in. And, uh, and then finally, I would say that there are amazing schools out there that are teaching people some aspects of the business um, and, uh, you know, whether it's, uh, you know, Humber or Ryerson or, uh, Harris Institute for the Arts or, mm-hmm. um, the, uh, Canada's music incubator, which is, uh, you know, really zooms in on a particular, uh, stakeholders in the industry, really cool stuff. So go take a look and come and join us because there's nothing more fantastic mm-hmm. than, uh, putting on a laminate and standing backstage and watching a show. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, when you're in the industry, you get you get to do that a lot. Nice, that's great advice. I there's optimism for everybody to keep investigating and keep learning and figuring out what you love. And there's probably a place for you in the music industry with whatever you love, which mm-hmm. is so great. Um, so, is there anything? I mean, you. I think you've definitely touched on lots, but maybe just in a more explicit way. Um, is there anything about what's been happening over the and I and I definitely don't want to de-emphasize the the struggles in the industry and for everyone who's listening, check out for the love of live and make sure you contribute how you can to upholding people who have been hit hard. Um, but from your perspective, Erin, is there anything that is really moving you from this kind of inspired place, picturing like what kind of future do you picture? for the industry that, that only a pandemic could have, could have made this happen. And you're kind of looking at it now thinking maybe we needed this. Oh, there's, there's so, there's so much good that will come of this where I don't even know where to start. I mean, you know, no one could claim that the live music industry was perfect before Mm -hmm. Um, we have problems. We had social problems, you know, from safer spaces to social justice. And uh, our organization, just as one example, and there are others working in this space now too. We have a brand new organization called Advance, uh, representing Black music workers in the in the industry. We're doing a study on uh, uh, it's called Closing the Gap, looking at BIPOC live music representation challenges and barriers, and developing recommendations. Um, we know that you know a lot of our our venues are built on the sale of alcohol and the revenue streams you know are are not that many right and mm-hmm. so uh live music is intrinsically linked in the minds of everyone to especially certain types of venues to alcohol and drinking and partying and night out and all the things i'm not saying that that's a bad thing necessarily but when you know enter a pandemic and we're a bit of a vulnerable industry already i mean live music venues small ones especially are you know, on precarious footing at very, you know, 
required to make a living putting on shows. And most people do it because they're passionate about the music and they want to create opportunities for artists. So I think that we'll, we'll be, we'll be better able to fortify some of our, from an operations perspective, um, take a look at business models and, and see what can be done there from a, you know, a really community aspect, like really taking a look at systemic barriers and challenges and what's held us back. Um, what opportunities are there? Um, how can we redefine what our industry looks like and create opportunities for racialized folks, emerging folks, um, really work, do whatever we can. And I think the industry has come such a long way. We were doing this work before the pandemic, uh, but to really, really take a look at things like gender parity and, um, and, and diversity and inclusion. And that's, you know, that's not just you know, thanks to the pandemic, I think it was a d- deep reckoning around our role and responsibility here. And and many, if not all of us are taking incredibly serious, seriously and able to, you know, leverage the pandemic in different, like as a, not a blank slate, but a, but a, a springboard. Yeah. Um, so that's great. And uh, also, I think, I think in the short term, it's going to be a wonderful opportunity for Canadian artists um, especially if international travel remains difficult and our, who knows how long our border will be closed. So, or it'll be challenging across the border, et cetera. I don't know what that looks like. So real, real, I think, um, opportunities for more art Canadian artists to play for more people. And I think that's really good for the industry as a whole and, um, for fans as well. The last thing I'll say is that I think that one of the things that we will take out coming out of this is a sense of community. Yeah. I use the word community way more than I use the word industry these days. And uh, this was in the beginning. I described the live music industry, the be- you know, Aaron gets hired to build and create the Canadian Live Music Association with the board. And the job is to herd cats and bring this very difficult industry together to the same table. And I have characterized them as proprietary entrepreneurial competitors who not, you know, don't always play well together and don't necessarily like each other. Well, times have changed and we recognize how, ver- I think, you know, I don't want to speak for everyone, but from my perspective, like how much we need each other. Yeah. We need each other in this industry. We need, we need to know we're not alone. We need to know someone's out there fighting for us. Our associations, it's our jobs as an association to do the heavy lifting, to get our hands dirty so that individual companies don't have to, to speak on behalf of everyone. So like, you know, it, the whole, it takes a village um, concept is so true here. And I think that moving forward, I'm, I'm really hopeful that our industry will stay connected and continue to build relationships with everyone and, um, and feel like, like we, sur- for those of us who make it to the end, like survive this together and that there's real benefit in feeling like you're part of an actual family. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I hear in everything that you're saying, the importance of bringing people together, remembering who we are as a, as a music community, as people in general, I think. Um, and at the very least, I think if, if we can't recognize that we need each other, at least recognize that we have a deeply profound effect on one another. <laughs> and, uh, and hopefully that, that helps to continue to keep people working together and keep the space collaborative like you've experienced over the last over a year. To, to leave on, a, on another positive note or to wrap things up, I might just ask you something that you feel most proud of, most energized about moving into this next year of work as the CEO of the Canadian Live Music Association. 
Well, there are two things. And I did talk about the campaign already, but I'm so proud of this campaign. I'm proud of the community's response to it. I'm proud of the way that my team imagined, you know, we're not campaign people. No, none of us have ever built a campaign before. It's yeah. We didn't go to pandemic school, like how to run an association <laughs> and lead an industry out of a pandemic. Like none of us, nobody I know uh, went to that you that know, wasn't have, has week a two, like syllabus item number four. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. Um, but as a result, what I would say uh, at the very top of the experience pyramid, the thing that for me I'm most proud of and, and most humbled by is the work of my team. Hmm. Uh, they are amazing, amazing, amazing people, and I'm going to name them. Um, and they are, without a doubt, the reason that our association has been able to, I think, make a small difference in the lives of live music industry workers in this country. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they are uh, Victoria Shepard and Brina Knott and Nicole Auger and Maddie Oliver. Uh, and we've had some help along the way from other folks, uh, especially Phil and Miranda and Kelly and Aaron um, uh, on our campaign specifically, but my team of young, amazing women um, two of them pretty fresh from school, university, uh, just, just, I mean, just open to anything and willing to take on challenges and find ways through it again, without going to how to lead an, an industry out of a pandemic school. Yeah. So truly remarkable human beings. And, um, there've been times over my 20 plus years of association leadership where I've felt very alone and wished that I could have a bigger team or, or, you know, uh, more resources, et cetera. And I, I just, these days, I just feel incredibly grateful for these, for these women who, um, uh, you know, who are just not only great at their jobs, but incredibly generous, authentic human beings. And it's, uh, it's a joy. And, and frankly, they're the ones who got me out of bed every day, Hmm. day after day, after day, after day, after day, when things, still are so incredibly hard and urgent. Um, and uh, it's a wonderful, wonderful experience as an association leader to s- see a team gel and thrive and um, truly have monumental impact in the community. Amazing. And you're doing so many great things and we definitely see it and feel the love. And as an artist, I've felt supported and like my voice is being asked for and heard in so many ways. So grateful for everything that you and all of those people are doing. Thank you so much. Total pleasure. Thank you for having me on your podcast. That wraps up this week's episode of From Starving to Savvy. Myself, along with the whole team at Last Draft, extend our most sincere gratitude to each of you for tuning in and giving your ears, your hearts, and your time to learning more about our guests and their unique stories and experiences. Once again, this podcast is brought to you by Last Draft, an ethical, engaging, and human story company with a mission to authentically amplify the stories of those they work with. The team at Last Draft thrives on real connections, empowering stories, and authentic voices. If you are an artist or entrepreneur looking to start telling your story, Last Draft offers support through evocative written content, exciting virtual events, personal email campaigns, and more. To get in touch with a team member at Last Draft, please visit www.lastdraft.ca.
Again, we extend our deepest thanks to each of you for tuning in and hope you'll be back for future episodes.